Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Chris Torres. I will be your host today, joined by my co-host, Mike Carter. Mike, it's happened. The move that we've all been waiting for. The move that has shaken the baseball world. I see. The move that every podcast will be starting with this week. I got you. Eric Fetty signed a two-year deal with the Chicago White Sox, baby. I thought you were going to talk about What do you think about that? I thought you were going to talk about Adam Simber signing with the Angels tonight. I thought that's Ooh. what you were going to what you were breaking. Okay. Uh, no, you know, actually I really like this move for the Sox. Um it's it's pretty low risk and there's potential reward there. I actually as soon as I started uh tinkering around with this, I went to my main source on all things KBO in Japan, Tim McLeod who is a brilliant, brilliant analyst, friend of the show, friend of mine, friend of yours, um, you know, up in Canada, the great white North doing his thing. And he said that all the stuff about him was true, that he, he worked on his pitch mix. He worked on a new grip for his changeup. He's throwing a sweeper. Obviously he had a great year there. And the thing about the KBO that a lot of people don't talk about is that it's notoriously hitter friendly. And so, he won 20 games there and had a pretty good run and and, work, and had more strikeouts than ever. And I always come back to this. The White Sox are going nowhere, clearly. Uh, they signed him to a two-year contract for $15 million. This is chump change compared to what the Yankees are about to do and uh, what it looks like they're about to do anyway, which we're going to do a safety check on you in a little while anyway on that. So, But long story short, they could flip him at the trade deadline for something halfway decent if they decide – if he comes back here and he does well, it wouldn't be the uh, the first time that that's happened where a guy has gone to a foreign area and come back. I mean, I, I, I hate to say, you know, Merrill Kelly is a, a great example of that. I don't, I don't expect him to be Merrill Kelly, but if he could get something between Merrill Kelly and say, who's another guy that's done that recently. Um, I can't think of somebody off the top of my head, but my I, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't my have a problem with yeah, it. He went to Korea. Yeah, no, he did. That's right. I, I don't know. I'll be honest. I, I brought up Eric Fetty just to bust your balls. I wasn't even looking for like an in-depth breakdown of the move. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of rub it in that that's the big move that the White Sox made this offseason. No, no, no. Probably no, will. Not, no, they're going to get Whit Merrifield, too. I told you this. Already. Ooh, all right. All right. I now the, we're really I, getting crazy. I picked the wrong shitty shortstop, but um, mm-hmm. I do like uh, I, I do think Whit Merrifield fits real well on this team. Okay. God Almighty, what are we doing? All right, well, here? let's let's plan the parade. Um, uh, what are we doing here? I mean, well, we're not here to talk Chicago White Sox. Thank uh, God. Thank God. Uh, today we are going to be talking all things Milwaukee Brewers. We have friend of the show now, his third time coming on uh, is is Kurt Hogg of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He is the Brewers beat writer over there. So we're going to be talking all things Brewers with him. And then for our fantasy follow-up segment, we're going to be bringing on a very special guest, Brendan Tuma, uh, who is the head of MLB Info over at Underdog Fantasy, uh, putting out great content on his Substack and on YouTube. Really excited to chat with him and to learn more about uh, the best ball product over at Underdog. So we've got a really good show for you, um, but let's bring on, we have Kurt here with us. So uh, again, friend of the show, beat writer. For the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us again. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. Very relaxed. I like the <laughs> Chris. I was gonna. I was gonna say. Are, I just realized. Are you in New York? Are you New York based? I am. Yes. You are. Yep. I. I just realized I'm wearing my my John's hat. Oh, oh of the uh, Bleecker Street. Yep. Yep. I'm not in the city. I'm about an hour north, but familiar okay. with John's. Um, actually, last time we spoke with you, you were over at City Field. I remember you were I had, like, I running through the just, parking lot. I, I probably <laughs> just got this hat like that day. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't take the the train the wrong way this time, or whatever. I messed something up on the train last time. So it was Easy great to do that. Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, how's the off season been treating you? Uh, I was talking to a player a couple weeks ago for a story. And he asked me the same question. I responded uh, with, what offseason? <laughs> Maybe you get one. But uh, right, right. finally now it's slowed down a little bit on the Brewer side of things. Um, but it was 
I think it was a rare situation in which for a while there, the Brewers were sort of front and center in the offseason news with all the mm-hmm. Craig Council dealings. Um, do you, I, I do want to point out to you, I was listening to WFAN in New York, the big sports radio station, and uh, you got a shout out because of your reporting on the Craig Council story. <laughs> I, I, so. what, yeah, what did they end up? They went like on a some sort of tangent. Uh, yes, about <laughs> they, they talked about, I forget what the player who they brought up, but uh, uh, funny names, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, but you did, um, you did get a call out there. Uh, yeah, you were busy beginning of the offseason with the Craig Council story, and then it went right into the Jackson Churio story. So, We've had a lot going on and then potentially Corbin Burns, which we'll get into. So, um, yeah, I, I hear you. It hasn't really been much of an off season for you, no, but, um, but it's good. It's good. But we'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, it yep. keeps your mind like on baseball throughout the off season. There's still enough pockets of downtime in there too. Yeah. I mean, you could be like the, the Rockies beat rider and then you'd, you'd really be, you know, <laughs> grasping for something. Um, but uh, all right, let's get into some some Brewers talk and, and take a deeper look at this team as it currently stands. Uh, and the first thing I'd like to do is to take a look at what we have uh, as fantasy baseball players. We depend a lot on this website called Roster Resource. It's actually now part of Fangraphs. And um, I feel like most fantasy players look at this as kind of like their uh, their guide in terms of what a lineup is going to look like. So the first thing I wanted to do was take a look at the lineup that they are projecting for the Brewers this coming season and get your thoughts on it and see where you agree and where you disagree. So I'm just going to go through the lineup and then I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond here. Um, so we've got starting out Christian Yelich in the leadoff spot. Uh, I, don't, I think that's pretty set in stone. Followed by William Contreras. Uh, they've got Sal Freelick batting third in right field, Adamas, Tyrone Taylor batting fifth in the DH spot, uh, former Yankee, great, uh, Jake Bowers at first Good base, uh, Jackson Churio uh, starting center fielder batting seventh, Bryce Terang second base, they have him in, in a sh- uh, strong side platoon at second base, and Andrew Monasterio, the starting third baseman batting ninth. So, Kurt, what are your thoughts on that? Where do you uh, do you have any disagreements with what they're projecting? Um, I'm not so sure on like disagreements. I just don't think this is a finished product. Mm-hmm. I, I sure, I sure, for the Brewers' sake, <laughs> it's yeah. not a finished product. I think, I think, like you read up and down this roster, and like the first reaction is that team won how many games last year? Um, and but the honest truth is like the offense was not a whole lot better in route to winning 92 games last year. Uh, they're bottom 10 in pretty much every category, but um, yeah, J- Jake Bowers for sure. Like, I, I just I do not think the Brewers are going to be comfortable going into the season with him as the only option at first base, although it is interesting that they they traded for him. Um, right before the tender deadline when he's out of mm-hmm. options and you know they've t- tendered him a contract and that's guaranteed money right now and the brewers aren't a team that just you know flings around guaranteed contracts for guys that they are going to cut so I-, I don't think he's totally out of the picture but um whether it's tyler black uh one of the prospects that we can talk about in a bit or you know maybe bring back carlos santana or someone like that uh at first base I think someone else will be the primary option there. The other thing that stands out to me a little bit, um, I think I'm not sure Bryce Terang is like this second base job is not going to be given to him this year. Incredible on defense, but I mean, probably like for, you know, from a fantasy perspective, probably wasn't rostered a whole lot last year, maybe some steals in there, but mm-hmm. um, like, I, I just don't see with the way his offense was last year, that job just being, handed down to him the Brewers don't have a ton of like options up elsewhere like Owen Miller exists Monasterio can play second they traded for Oliver Dunn um I don't know if they go out and get someone you know maybe the Corbin Burns trade brings some guys in but yeah I I, I, with the way he hit last year he's not going to be walking into spring training with the job handed to him well, one thing's for sure is that they can't have Lurie Garcia because Lurie Garcia signed a 
minor league contract with the Atlanta Braves today, Chris. Wow, old, old, wow. Old, old, white, old White Sox favorite. Yeah, no, I'm just glad I don't have to see him in a Sox uniform ever again. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, one player that I, I did want to ask about because they have him on the bench currently is Garrett Mitchell. And he had flashed some upside last season. And I know this outfield is looking a little crowded right now. How do you see that playing out? Do you see him eventually? Like, what is his role going to be on this team? Yeah, that's a great question. Part of it does come down to what they do with Jackson Churio if he's on the opening day roster. And that will be determined. They're not just handing the kid the starting center field job. But what is interesting is if you look at it this way, the Brewers have a plethora of young outfield talent and as well as like some solid veteran outfielders. Christian Yelich had a great year. Tyrone Taylor's solid as a fifth outfielder um but despite all those guys they made the largest commitment in baseball history to a player that has not debuted yet mm -hmm. um whether they're like directly pointing at jackson churio and saying you're our guy that's to be seen but they are giving him 82 million dollars and that's 82 million reasons to be pointing at him and saying you're the guy um, it's a commitment they haven't made to any of these other guys. Mm -hmm. So I don't know where some of these other guys fall in. Now there's there's more spots around the field that they can play. Cherio can move to left. Maybe Yelich DHs, and that opens up a spot. Um, Freelich is probably the starting right fielder at this point. Profile's a little better in right field than Mitchell. So I, I'm not sure if, you know, maybe is Mitchell the guy that they they trade this offseason? Do they trade him or Weimer or Freelich? There's just so many players, and it's unclear. No one at this point has like separated themselves from the rest of the pack because Mitchell's performed well when he's been out there, but he's you know been very prone to injuries throughout his pro career. Kurt, I think it's really interesting what you said about uh, the, the possibility of – well, I, you didn't say it exactly this way, but the possibility that Churio is not on the opening day roster despite signing the big contract. I think a lot of people – thought that the that they were taking the Luis Robert route, you know, where they sign him to a, a long-term contract before the season so that he can start and they don't have to do any of that roster manipulation like they did. But he's only 19 years old. And I think people kind of forget that too. You know, he's he's obviously a really talented guy, but the possibility at least exists perhaps that he might not start the season with them. Yeah, the possibility for sure does. Um, but on the same hand, there's not a there's not going to be a ton for him to do at AAA, and this guy's super talented and like seemingly gets better every time we see him. So I'm figuring by the time March rolls around, uh, he's going to have a lot to say about whether or not he's the opening day center fielder. And if he is, yeah, big like the big question to me on the on the the fallout from that is where does Garrett Mitchell fall into the team's plans? Because remember they left him off the playoff roster as well, and that was partially related to the health like he had just come back but you know they 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 effectively chose like joey weimer and uh jesse winker to be on the playoff roster over mitchell he gets speaking of speaking of minor leaguers kurt um which minor leaguers do you think have a chance this year to make an impact at the big league level for the brewers i'm a, i'm a big tyler black guy personally i i, I love his it's not the sexiest base of, of, for a player, but it's plate discipline, like elite ball strike recognition, um, great batted ball skills. And then you add in that add, add into like he's increased some power, like his max exit velos, I think went up like five or six miles an hour last year. Uh, he started hitting the ball in the air more in double A. Like once, once he got promoted to triple A, like you start seeing the grounders and the issues there pop back up a little bit, but he, he's also stole like 40, 50 bases on the season. So from a fantasy perspective, you're going to get the on base. You're going to get the steals. The real life questions are on the defensive side, as well as like, is he going to hit nine homers or is he going to hit 20? Um, it's unclear there, but there's a path to playing time for him for sure. And I love the base of a player who like understands ball strike recognition. Um, Jefferson Carroll should be up a catcher. He's sort of defensive first. Um, I don't know how fantasy relevant he would be in 2020, 2024. Oh my goodness. I almost said 2021. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he'll probably be up at some point. He's an interesting one to keep on an eye on. They've got some young pitchers too. Robert Gasser could make the opening day roster. He'll be up at some point making some starts as well. And then the, the, the real wild card is, 
is the the high octane arm in the, in the system is Jacob Mizorowski. Maybe some of the best stuff, or maybe the best stuff, I should say, in the minor leagues. Fastballs at 100. The sliders like a 70 grade pitch. Um, he's like six seven, adding strength to the frame. It's just a big question of command with him. But if he figures it out, he will be in the big leagues for sure, and it probably won't take him very long in, in 24. Okay, I want to ask you about uh, another rotation piece here that maybe some people have somewhat forgotten about, and that's Aaron Ashby. Um, what do you think his role is going to be with the team this season? They want him to start. That is the ideal role for Aaron Ashby. And if he's healthy, he will be starting. The, the question is the health. It's a shul- He's coming off a shoulder injury that forced him to miss the entire season. And when we saw him making rehab starts, like he he was on track to return by the end of the year, but the health never got back. Like in the rehab starts, the stuff was very diminished. Velo like 91, 92, which is a big, big way off from like the 96, 97 that um, he flashed in, in 20, uh, 2022 when he's made a lot of starts and like relief appearances for the team. So, yeah, they want him to start. But that shoulder injury is a big question. They say he's healthy. They say, you know, the reports are positive. But um, the Brewers aren't even speaking in, like, totality that he's going to be, you know, like they're not certain that he's going to be healthy for opening day, it seems. Like they're not willing to make that guarantee. I think he will be. But the shoulder injury in particular seems to be, like, very, you know, that's just, it's like, it's how it's how any shoulder injury goes. It's just very touch and feel and, um, well, I guess we'll find like that's the biggest, I think, player on the Brewers to watch in spring training because his upside is immense. Um, and if he's healthy and he's in the rotation, you're probably going to be getting him at some really, really good value. Like the stuff there is incredible, but who knows, you know, how many innings are in that arm this year? Yeah, yeah, he's someone I've, I've been excited about in the past, and uh, looking at his ADP so far, um early draft champions ADP. This is 24 drafts that have been done. He's going at an average of pick 410 uh, in a max or a min rather of 292. So uh, people are definitely still interested, but like you said, a ton, a ton of risk there. Kurt, I wanted to ask you, uh, going back to the minor leaguers for one second, I've got a chance to go down to the Arizona Fall League last month. And uh, boy, let me tell you, spending a few days in Arizona when you're from Chicago in November is a, a pretty good play. Uh, what can you tell me about Eric Brown Jr.? He was pretty impressive there. He flashed in the glove at shortstop. Uh, seemed like a really good speed guy, good uh, contact guy. What's uh, what do you think about him? Is he is he somebody that could move quickly through the system? Yeah, health is going to be a big thing with uh, him and him in twenty four. I'm not so sure about like how quickly he'll move through. Um, he doesn't like he his profile doesn't strike you as like a, a helium riser type person. Yet, on the other hand, there's some Tyler Black similarities there. Like, he's faster and a better athlete than, than Tyler Black is, I think. Um, and, like, the contact rates have always been incredible. The huge questions, like, is he going to not just hit enough for, for enough power, but, like, be able to drive the ball enough to be a good hitter? Because, you know, the, the plate discipline's pretty good. Um, he does not swing and miss. Might be able to stick it short. Might move to second. Either way, middle infield glove. Um, he's, he's maybe the guy where you talk to scouts and like, there's the biggest gap, uh, in opinion in the Brewers system. Mm-hmm. There's maybe a couple pitchers that are in that similar range, but for the most part, like scouts have a pretty good idea of who, like how, how these position players are going to wind up as much as you can uh, for prospects. But the range of valuations on Brown goes anywhere from like, yeah, he's, you know, he's maybe number eight or nine in that system. Um, at the top of that second tier in the Brewer system to like, he's never going to hit enough uh, mm-hmm. to make it in the big league. So 20, this is a big year for him. Definitely someone to keep an eye on. Um, if like, he'll probably start at double A, I would guess. And if he's mashing down there, um, that that's someone to for sure, like pay attention to that. Uh, if the power's there, then that's a huge deal. It's like Tyler Black again, um, when, mm-hmm. when the power showed up this year. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Kurt, I know you got to get out of here. And and again, we thank you so much for for giving us the time. Just one last quick question. And I'm sure this is what many people, uh, especially in the fantasy space, want to know. 
Corbin Burns, give us a percentage chance uh, of that you think he'll be a brewer on opening day. Uh, that he will be a brewer. That I he would will say, be a brewer. Yeah, I would, I would put it between 30 and 50%, maybe smack dab at like 40. Hmm. Even okay. saying that sounds a little too high, so I'm going to go 35. Yeah. Gotcha. About okay. a one, about a one, one in three chance. I, I just, you know, we'll see what happens. I think a lot of teams are kind of waiting on the Shohei Palooza to wind down in the Yamamoto, like you know, who who he will choose. Um, and then after that, I think the Brewers are in a really good like power position where they could keep Burns and compete, you know, with him next year, win the division maybe. Or you could trade him, get a haul, still potentially compete, depending on how you can piece together this this rotation. Um, and they'll be yeah, they'll be in a position of power. So mm-hmm. it, it sort of depends on what the market ends up being, but I think the market is going to be pretty enticing. And knowing how they have generally operated in the past, with you know getting churning these guys out before they become free agents, getting some assets could definitely lean toward Corbin Burns being traded. Mm-hmm. that makes sense well kurt thank you again uh great information as always if you could just please tell our listeners where they could find you on social media and where they could find your work uh yeah i'm on twitter slash x no it's twitter i'll never i'll never give in uh, at, at kurt hogue c-y-r-t-h-o-g-g um and uh, jsonline.com where we're covering the brewers all year long they won't give us any time off all right well hoping you get a little bit of a break here but uh thank you again we'd love to have you back on at some point during the season all right we'll we'll talk to you soon kurt sure thanks guys happy holidays yeah you guys as well all right we say goodbye to kurt and we say hello to our next guest as i pull him up here we've got brendan tuma Uh, Very excited to have him on the show for our fantasy follow-up segment here. Uh, So Brendan is the head of MLB Info at Underdog Fantasy. You can also uh, catch some of his content on his Substack, uh, which is brendantuma.substack.com. He is also the co-host of the Stacking Dingers show on YouTube. Um, So yeah, he is putting a lot of great stuff out there. Uh, loving the product over at Underdog Fantasy, which we'll learn more about. But uh, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Chris, that was a really kind intro. I appreciate that. Um, I'm doing well tonight. What about you guys? Doing well. Um, you know, we, we started off the show talking about the big signing by the White Sox or Eric Fetty, uh, which is, you know, what everybody was was waiting on. Now it's like the rest of the chips will fall, right? Now Shohei can sign because Fetty got out of the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're doing well, hoping to see a little bit more action here at the, uh, the winter meetings, uh, me as a Yankee fan, I'm, I'm waiting for that Soto deal to that notification on my phone that it is going through. So Brendan, we will have to safety check, uh, Chris, if Soto is traded to the Yankees and they have to give up Michael King, who is, uh, Torres's reason for existing the last six weeks, quite pretty honestly. Much, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. But in fantasy, let me tell you, if he goes to San Diego, I'll be even more hyped, Mike. You're going to hear more oh, Michael God. King. Even though he won't be on my favorite team, he's going to be in a great pitcher's park. So, yeah, it's wheels up, baby. Chris, you know um, why you're so you know why you're so good at fantasy, Chris? Why is that? Because you're no good at reality, okay? Let's just, you know, we'll you told me the opposite one time. So, you know, pick a lane here, my friend. That's good. That's <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. I might pull that out on a, on a it might, you know, All you got to do is talk to Katie Carter. She says it all the time. I'm good at fantasy because I'm no good at reality. And I, don't even, <laughs> I, like I really that. don't even know how good I am at either one of them, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Brennan, uh, want to learn a little bit more about you before we get into some more um, – you know, analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you got to underdog. What was your path to creating content for them? Yeah. So I'm one of those people who do believe that, you know, success or however you want to define that um, is kind of just like the, it's where hard work and opportunity meet. Right. And I got kind of lucky to be early ish um, to underdog where I was working for fantasy pros doing a lot of part-time work, wearing a lot of different hats that I like to say. But one of the things I was doing was working as the news desk manager. I started writing blurbs for them and worked my way up a little bit. 
I had a really great mentor, Dan Harris. Um, and Underdog was looking for uh, to hire, you know, for the news at that time. And it was, you know, kind of an old school Roto World tracking news sort of thing, um, but doing it in the Underdog way. And it was kind of just like the perfect storm because that's like a super niche thing, I feel like, to <laughs> a space to have not just within the world, but within fantasy even. So um, it was, it was really just like really lucky timing in that sense. That's really cool. Can I ask, is this your, your full-time gig over there? Yeah, I work full-time for underdog. Um, My, you know, main job is, is the news. I do uh, the head of MLB for, for that account, but then also do a lot with NFL and, and then there's some other things I, I help assist in content, partnerships marketing all that good stuff great great that's awesome brendan tell us a little bit about um the offerings at underdog and why people should be playing them chris and i are doing our first underdog well i don't know if it's your first one chris it's my first one we're involved in that we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit but tell us a little bit about the offerings there and uh, why people should be checking out underdog for sure so my favorite pitch to make for uh playing not just on underdog but kind of best ball in general and just playing different forms of fantasy baseball is what's a reason someone might not do 200 drafts this off season like even if you wanted to it's because that would be an insane amount of in-season management you never be able to pull that off i mean so many of us when we talk about setting fab or lineups on sunday monday it's like that oh, what we do is already a lot but with best ball you can um draft 200 times if you want to this off season and you can do it in a way where it's a low buy-in five or ten dollars but it's a tournament structure um contest so the payout um for a ten dollar entry last year in our flagship baseball was a hundred thousand dollars so um it's a type of thing where like so many of us are already doing the work anyways for fantasy baseball and this is never going to replace, you know, your season long leagues. Like those are still always going to be the most fun just because you're, you know, managing it every day, every week. But since we're already doing the work, um, it's just like another way to engage with, with the sport. And um, I'm, I'm biased, but I, I think we have the, um, the best place to play it just um, that due to our app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, this is my first, uh, you know, first year using um, underdog best ball, at least for, for baseball. I've done football in the past. Uh, part of the reason is I guess I just was reluctant at first because it you are using like a different muscle, so to speak, like when you're you're doing the best ball and especially with the different scoring as opposed to traditional five by five. So um, but I, I really wanted to try it this year and, and I'm really enjoying it um, for sure. And sorry, I don't mean to cut okay. you off, but like. Um, I think that is something that a lot of people, it might be different for them is they're used to playing five by five. It could be, you know, 15 team, you know, see, again, season long manage with, with fab and waivers and all that. And our, our game is a lot simpler than that. Um, mm-hmm. When I first got on board, my first thought was, oh, we got to change this right away, you know, to, to five by five and, and do something out. But we've actually found that we're able to better bridge, um, you know, baseball fans who might haven't played fantasy since you know they were you know had done it once you know like 10 years ago or something and just mm-hmm. didn't love the the everyday component but um and they might not want to know who the 11th best catcher in fantasy baseball is but the way we break it up with pitcher infield outfield it's only 20 roster spots you know again there, there's nothing to do in season for except you know enjoy the sweat um it, it allows you to uh market and bring on like a, a much bigger um pool of potential players right right that makes sense um and yeah let me just go over so right now uh the main offering that you have is the bullpen which is a five dollar entry uh like you said it is a uh, a tournament with first place getting 7500 uh 20 players and the scoring's a little different which we'll we'll get into the starting positions so you're your starting players are you get three pitchers three outfielders three infielders 10 bench spots and one flex. So just to kind of give that overview for people who may be listening and are not um, familiar with the format. So Brendan, let me ask you, what is in your opinion uh, or or how do you approach roster construction in this format? Yeah. So I think uh, something else I do on the side, you know, you mentioned it at the start, it's the stacking dingers um, sub stack. You subscribe there for free. Um, 
this is such a new game and such a new contest. There's only been a couple years of information. And and one thing that Underdog does do is they release, um, you might have seen it like it's really popular for football, but we'll release the draft results. And then people who I can't do this job, but like people who are good at coding and spreadsheets or whatever it is, they, they recreate the tournament and then they have all these macro lesson takeaways that you can say, hey, this is the structure most people drafted. This is the structure that had the most success. And we're only at the very beginning of that. So I think we're, we're going to, you know, three years from now, like I'd say, I'd have a much more definitive answer mm-hmm. on, you know, really kind of some of the optimal ways to attack, you know, this. But um, right now, like what we have seen is that you, you do, it's, you do want to go balanced. Um, and I think the the fun part of the draft is, is more about where you're allocating that draft capital. Is it, you know, early round infield, outfield, or, or pitcher? Mm-hmm. In this format, are is um, one of the optimal approaches to stack like it is in the NFL, or is it not the same in baseball? Yeah, and again, that's something that we're trying to figure out, learn more about as well. But the scoring system, it's not like DFS where it's just one day. So if you have you know the, the number two batter, you get the run RBI from the number three batter, then before that sort of thing. It's um, and then the playoff, it's it's two week long scoring format. So. Um, if you have a big picture strategy, like, oh, the Texas Rangers lineup is going to break out this year and all those guys are going to go off and they're just going to all be great picks, then I think that makes sense. But in terms of how the points are actually scored, um, it's not too much of that. You know, a lot of people try to look for spot, uh, spots in the schedule where it might be, someone might have cores for seven games or that sort of thing. Um, it, so, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't focus too much on the stacking unless, again, it's a situation where you think um, an entire lineup's going to go off over the course of the season. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, wanted to spend a few minutes uh, kind of breaking down the teams that Mike and I have uh, have built so far. And we're, I think, Mike, you're in round seven or eight at this point. I'm in round, yeah, I'm in round seven myself. We're in round, we're, we're in round nine right now. Yeah. You're in doing okay. some slows. Yep. Yep. We're both nice. in slow drafts. So I uh, want to talk about the teams that we've put together so, uh, so far and kind of get your opinion on them, Brendan. So I'll tell you what I started with. Um, I went, I had the the 12 spot, which I really did not like. And I know you talked about on your, uh, the stacking dinger show that that's like not a great place to be this season. Um, and uh, so what I ended up doing there, I went with, uh, Bobby Witt and Spencer Strider, uh, back to back. And then third round, I went, I think it was, I guess it doesn't really matter because they were back to back. Ellie and Brian Reynolds needed this an is, outfielder. This is a fun team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then followed that up with George Kirby and Jazz Chisholm. So I'll tell you my thoughts. I mean, looking at this now and, and just like, uh, you know, this is this is all new for me. And I, I really mm-hmm. thought about it afterward and, and after listening to your show as well. I'm like, man, like outfield is is going to be like very dicey for me. Uh, just looking at the options that uh, I'm going to be presented with later. Uh, not great in that area. I've got a lot of risk with Ellie and Jazz on the same team. Uh, let me ask you about the Spencer Strider pick, because I felt like when I plugged into um, I, I plugged in steamer projections into the Fangraphs auction calculator and put the scoring settings in. And Spencer Strider came out like $20 more than any other pitcher in this format. So if you were in my position with that 12th pick, do you, would you have gone with Strider there or what do you what would you have done? I guess a two-part question in the sense of one, just pitching in, in general. I remember at the very end of this past season, I started updating my dynasty ranks and when i got to starting pitcher um you know i I like to lean win now with my dynasty ranking so they they're not you know straight redraft rankings but like they're pretty similar more than um you might see on a lot of other lists but it just became apparent how thin pitching was like i the person i was ranking at sp19 you know felt like they should be sp34 or something um pitching is just like so thin right now and i thought about this a lot last season with the run scoring environment um, just getting a lot more favorable all around baseball. 
And it kind of feels like we're going back to that 2019 period where there was not a lot of value at starting pitcher, you know, when you're thinking of the SP 12 to 24 range. So that's something I've been thinking a lot about um, this off season recently. So from that sense, I really do want to be, you know, I don't want to sit out the entire first round of, uh, of aces that go, you know, one through 12. I, I do want one of them. And if anyone are going to separate, it's going to be Strider. Like you said, like you put in his stats at the auction calculator. I mean, the strikeout upside is, is just so immense with him. Um, I've been a, I was a big Cy Young, um, uh, NL Cy Young better for Spencer Strider last year. So I was really getting tilted at those games where he would be dominant through six innings. They'd send him back out for the seventh and he'd give up like three runs and it was <laughs> just really inflating his ERA. So is, is that going to regress or is that a symptom of him being a two pitch guy? Um, I think that's what, you know, the question is for him. And if, 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 if that was, you know, truly just like unlucky, then, then he definitely has that ability to, to really separate from the pack. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we actually we just had Jessica Brandon, who is just brilliant um, and just a great mind. And uh, she she works over at FanDuel and uh, she was talking a lot about how Strider really got unlucky with the Braves defense. And I don't know, like the way she talked about it was too advanced for me. But basically looking at the launch angles of the balls that were hit and, you know, like these there's a certain percentage that should have been out. So anyway, um, I, I'm very bullish on Strider this year. Um, Mike, I want to hear from you. What is, uh, tell us your team and I'd like to hear Brendan's thoughts on that. Well, Chris, I just wanted to point out before I share my team that the guy in the 12 spot in my league also took Spencer Strider. Okay. And then, and then followed it up with Garrett Cole. Whoa. Interesting. Um, and okay. then, so, and then he only has one hitter, but then he also took Luis Castillo, Dylan Cease and, <laughs> uh, and George Kirby. I don't so, think that's gonna work. No. Yeah, he's got three outfielders now too, but he doesn't have he doesn't have any infielders yet. So, long story short, when I started playing around with it, I just impulsively said, "Well, I'm just gonna try to acquire as much power as humanly possible." So I was picking from the nine spot. I took Jordan Alvarez. I was hoping to get Matt Olson on the next round, but he got sniped. So I took Pete Alonso instead. Then double tapped Wheeler and Nola, Royce Lewis, who's a risk. Say a Suzuki, who I think is going to hit 30 home runs this year. O'Neill Cruz, who uh, is apparently 100% healthy from what I've read. And then I took Bobby Miller, who I think actually could end up being an ace. So that's where I'm at right now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to navigate this, looking at how everybody else is kind of doing it and trying to figure out where I might have some pockets of, uh, for lack of a better term, value there. But mm -hmm. I really, I really wanted to try to get, um, two pitchers that I knew for sure I, I, that I felt pretty certain about and then uh, really load up on power. Yeah. So, so kind of finishing off um, what we were just talking about was can Strider separate from that pack and, and the rest of the pitching isn't that strong. Um, I think what it really comes down to in, in all forms of fantasy this year is, is again, not necessarily, um, you know, if you love Strider, I'm never going to try to talk someone out of picking him, but it's not so much about being the first or second person to take a starting pitcher, but I want to have my fifth starting pitcher when other people are still getting their third. Like that, that's kind of how I view um, the approach this season because mm -hmm. there is a drop off at starting pitcher. Like there's this tendency now because the top is flatter than we're used to. There's, I feel like people are just saying, oh, starting pitching's, you know, deeper, you can wait. And there's always going to be, you know, in-season breakouts and and prospect call-ups and all that sort of stuff. But 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 it does the bets do start getting a lot thinner at a certain point. So I want as much of, you know, a lot of fantasy analysts have called it like the glob, that sort of thing. Like I want as much of the glob as I can get. Um, I don't need take to take as be many one of shots the, as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So so that's that's my thoughts on it. Um, yeah. So I like I, what you guys are doing with pitching in terms of like making sure you sprinkle some of those guys in. Yeah, I really like the way you put that. And, and I think that is a um, kind of people fall into that trap. I saw that a little bit last year, too, is where they get the idea that if if the top of the pool is flat, um, then it's then that means it's deep. But those mm -hmm. are two different things. Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, you you know, it can get there's a certain point where it really drops off and then you're really taking some risky bets. So um I, I like the way you put that and i i would i'm gonna jump ahead to a question just because we're we're talking pitching 
you had an article that you had put out on your Substack that I really liked. I thought it was just an interesting way to think about things. Uh, you wrote about thinking of starting pitchers as balloons. And at first I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? But it, it made a lot of sense in reading the article. So if you could explain what you meant by that and and how you're going to be applying that to drafts this season. For, for sure. That's such a funny story you share because I'm, you know, I love writing about players and player analysis and all that sort of stuff. But I also like trying to think about, you know, the game and both baseball and fantasy baseball a little differently. And um, I was writing that. I'm like, is, I don't know if anyone else is going to connect with this or if this is just like all in you know, all in my head, this um, little analogy. But so that, that's cool to hear. Well, um, I am certainly your demographic. Like, I, I just <laughs> I really like your writing and the way you think about things. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's really fascinating. Um, I appreciate that. Um, so anyways, the, the, the idea stemmed from, it was actually one of my favorite fantasy football writers. His name's Jacob Sanderson. And he had a piece this past summer talking about running backs as balloons, um, that I just really identified with. And as I was reading, I was also like, you know, this kind of is describing how I'm feeling about starting pitchers. So I messaged Jacob and said, Hey, do you mind if I borrow this analogy for, for baseball? And he was like, yeah, of course, that's absolutely no problem. Um, so the general idea is that starting pitchers, when by the time they get to the big leagues, they right now rookies are not coming in and, and throwing a meaningful amount of innings, right? Like any rookie that you're considering in a fantasy league, you have to know that they're just not going to be able to match a pure end of season innings total that some of these more established guys have. And we know there's so, so much fewer 200 inning pitchers than there used to be 180 inning pitchers. The the way I'm starting to think of pitching is when they get to the majors, when they're prospects, they're these balloons that aren't that inflated. If you can picture a balloon, but, but it's only, you know, like a third of the way inflated as they start, you know, playing in the big leagues year over year. And if they are able to um, avoid injury, they start getting a little bigger and bigger. And then, Eventually get to a point where you're like a Luis Castillo right now, who I just view as so safe, so high end, you know, I would describe him as a fully inflated balloon. Like he's, he's at the point where he's, he's a workhorse. Um, and though I want as many of those guys as possible. Cause I think we've gone to the point where we're just innings, but good innings are, are really such a value right now. Um, and again, that goes back to kind of wanting to get as much of that, much of the glob as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it's at the point where I'm like looking at which pitchers I'm taking and I'm literally picturing them as balloons. Like, all right, is he fully inflated? Is he half inflated? Is he about to pop? Like, I'm really, you know, taking this to heart here. Um, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense, you know. Um, you know, a guy like, for example, I, who I love in, in Tariq Skubal. He's a guy when I when I use that uh, look at it through that lens, I don't know. I mean, is he worth the risk of, of what you know? He's he's definitely not an inflated balloon. Mm-hmm. I think um yeah. So I uh, part of the my discovery with this I feel was being really into Hunter Green last off season, mm-hmm. and to the point where I stopped you know, correctly weighing that risk reward risk reward because I was so sure he was, you know, this breakout was was going to happen that I, I didn't, you know, allow myself to think about how to value him if it didn't happen. Um and he's kind of in that scuba range. I think Scooble's much, much stronger bet this offseason Green was last year, but but it's similar to the idea where we haven't seen it over multiple years. Um Whereas you, I think of someone like Logan Webb, again, who might be a little more boring. Um, the K per nine isn't there, but but he goes a lot of innings at a really good ERA. And in Roto scoring, for instance, I don't think we think enough about how if you have more innings, your um, ERA is more you know impactful um, at the end of season when you're when you're calculating it all and adding it all up. I also um. Uh, play a lot of dynasty and I really like dynasty and with some pitching prospects. So Daniel Espino right now, who, you know, two years ago was maybe the best pitching prospect um, in baseball. Like once he got hurt and it was like, Oh, this is a year plus 
Like I'm out. Like in, in Dynasty, I'm fully I'm not like that balloon is gonna take so long to reinflate. You know, he's never even shown he can um, you know, go two hundred innings uh one time and now he's hurt and he's young and it's gonna be several years before you know he he's giving you a meaningful amount of innings in the big leagues. Now, I don't mean to like pick on Daniel Espino or anything like I love don't be like, mean as Daniel Espino. <laughs> I love his talent and he I mean he could end up um you know a closer for them as well possibly um but like but another example would be like when if I roster a pitcher in Dynasty and they get TJ um I'm really unlikely to to wait um for the full time for them to come back and I just would trade them away even though if you're selling a little low but um, I, I just I just think it's not worth waiting around that long. So those are just other ways to think about the balloon analogy as well. But um, I do I do think there's a lot of value in it, uh, even for just thinking about 2024. Mm-hmm. Brennan, we, uh, we started talking about it a little bit before about the outfield, and you said on stacking dingers recently that uh, outfield position is relatively shallow in your opinion. Who are a couple of outfielders going late that uh, you feel are good targets uh, as upside plays for fantasy baseball? I think you got a much better draw with your number nine pick than, than Chris got at number 12, because um, if you, when you pull up the app and you hop into a draft, you'll see the first 10 picks are all outfielders. Um, everyone's aware. Not only do people know about the outfield scarcity, but the best players in baseball are just happen to also be outfielders. So it makes this really dramatic effect with it. Where is that enormous drop off? Um, and then the other thing is, even if you get one of those first outfielders, you, you still feel in the crunch. So you're still reaching for outfielders and that just cr- kind of creates the whole effect of the draft. Then. And so the question about um, any of that pop out for me, it's uh, I haven't, you know, fully, you know, committed to anyone is wanting to just be really, you know, high on them or lower than them. But I do look for, um, you know, kind of quote unquote talent bets in the middle to late round. So someone like Nolan Jones, um, who I, again, I'm, I'm not, you know, positive myself yet, how much I trust that he's going to repeat that. But the way this tournament works in, in most any basketball tournament works is all the money is, you can't just have a, you know, good team where you'd come in like fourth out of 12. Like you need to have a great team that you can get to the playoffs and then each week win again and again to get the very top prize. So I am, you know, willing to take some upside shots. And so, um, you know, like Nolan Jones, Christopher Morrell, uh, Pico Armstrong, these are at various ADPs, but those are just a few guys who at the drafts that I've seen kind of feel like they're a little bit undervalued to where they should be. Yeah, definitely. And they announced, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or today, Craig Council was talking about Christopher Morrell needs to be in the lineup. So that is somebody, I think his ADP is much later on here on underdog and, uh, you know, can take advantage of that at this point. Uh, he's probably going later than he should be. I need help. All right. So I am actually on the clock. Uh, I need help in a lot of ways, but um, <laughs> uh, I need help in this draft specifically. Um, so like I said, it, I gave you my team. I'm up here in the seventh round. Um, I've got two pitchers, two infielders, two outfielders. And let me give you a couple of the options that I'm looking at right now. So for pitchers, um, there's Max Scherzer. No way. Uh, Joe Ryan, who I love, love, love this year. Uh, and then the next pitcher going after him is Mitch Keller. No, thank you. Not at that price. And then Bobby Miller, who I also love this year. Okay, so those are my pitching options. Infielder, I've got O'Neill Cruz, Dansby Swanson, McLean, Casas, Abrams. So there's a, like, infield is deep, man. Like, I'm in the seventh round, and these are some names that I think, like, I'd, I'd be happy with any of these guys. Outfield, I'm looking at. Marcelo Zuna, Teoscar, Jordan Walker, and going down further, we got Mike's boy, Eloy Jimenez. So, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, first, let me throw it to you, Mike. Where would you go here? I'm, I refuse to answer your question and help you right now. Just because I brought up you, I didn't make I don't, it up. I don't, like, love, really I don't love Eloy. I don't love Eloy. No. Um, wait, did, wait, did you used to love him? 
Well, I'm a Sox fan, so he always rips on me every okay. time I, I get it. He gets a chance to. Uh, I actually, I think you should take Michael King, Torres. Uh, I might. No. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I love, I love where Bobby Miller's going right here. I took, I took him with my last pick, and I think there's, you're talking about a guy like, like Brendan was just saying that, he, you know, he's flashing ace potential, and and he's going to have a job. I, I think he could easily. I know it's hard to speculate on wins, but he could strike out an inning and uh, have an ERA around three, three twenty. I, I think he's the guy that I would go for here. Okay. All right. What about you, Brendan? I I love Mike's um love for Bobby Miller because I'm also a big fan. I went really deep into the nitty gritty on him at the end of the season. Um, there's some. It depends, you know, how much you really love uh, stuff plus as a metric. But he has um, an arsenal there that looks like four above average pitches, which is just really really uh rare at his age um and it hasn't fully fully clicked yet kind of in a strider way where you know there's people yelling about the advanced stats and then other people being like well why why isn't it you know fully happening but um he's definitely someone i want to take um shots on the only other one that you mentioned again in a similar you know this guy could rise a few rounds in adp by this time next year bet uh and that was tristan costas for me where Mm -hmm. even though infield's deep he is um, you know, someone who I think could could be a difference maker, even at where he's going. Yeah, I mean, I I look at Casas and I kind of see him as you know maybe not at this level, but kind of like a Matt Olson type, like a dude who's just gonna mash. Um, you know, and 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 take that next step, and they announce that he's they're not gonna protect him against lefties anymore. Like he's gonna be a full time everyday player. So, he, yeah, love Casas. Um, you're Matt Olson. I'm sorry. I was just going to comment. Your Matt Olson uh, comment was so funny because uh, I lo- I tried to like figure out like who Casas was closest to as a first baseman at one point towards the end of last season. A lot of metrics like Matt Olson popped up for him, which is you know kind of yeah. speaks to his long term ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a I, I guess Brendan from more of a like positional. Just given the way outfield uh, shakes out in these drafts and the and the shallowness of it. Would you like? I feel like I'm just taking a lesser player. Like if I take any of those options I mentioned, like Ozuna, mm. Teoscar, Jordan Walker, maybe Walker's got some more upside there. But like, would you in this situation take um, a player that's just not as good, but in the name of positional scarcity? Or just want to get your thoughts on that. I think the other uh, thing to really be thinking about with underdog drafts is it's points based and you, I mean, the, the goal is literally like to get more points than the other, um, than the other people you're competing against. And uh, so you can't, what you can't do is take the position scarcity argument every single time, because then your players, again, there'll be breakouts, bus, all that sort of stuff. But like, just kind of from a preseason projection, your players just aren't going to be projected to score as much. So there's only so many times you can do it. And what we were talking before about best ball about, you know, this is, you know, you kind of want upside because you know, the money's at the end and it's, you know, uh, it's a lot of entries for, you know, not a lot of payouts. Um, if you're drafting, you know, I said before 200 times, but, you know, just, you know, two, five, 10, 30 times, throughout the off season, you can keep taking multiple structures. So I would advise do take some where you lean, you know, going for position scarcity and taking those outfielders early. And then, you know, maybe if you get Acuna, if you get the first pick, try a draft where you take Acuna and then kind of wait on outfield, really build up a dominant infield and mix in your pitches and all that. So um, yeah, I, I guess my point, unless you feel really strong about, the structural macro edge that you have, my advice would be to mix it up um, different strategies like that. Just give yourself more shots at, you know, possibly hitting that, that high upside team. Mm -hmm. Yep. That that makes sense. And the entry point, you know, $5, um, you know, it's obviously much more affordable than some of these like NFBC drafts that are going on right now. They're quick. You could jump in, you know, a fast draft at uh, 30 seconds per pick. So, 
you guys are offering a great product over there at underdog uh it looks like an awesome place to work too like just the the culture that they've created there it, it, it seems like a a really great company so definitely recommend if you're you're kind of fiending for some action here some drafting underdog is certainly a great place to do that all right so we are going to move away from baseball stuff and as we always do we're going to end this show um talking about uh we're going to have our segment called the mental health minute which is where each of us talks about one thing that we are doing to maintain our overall wellness. Now, this could be our mental health and or physical health. So I'm going to throw it to you first, Mike. Uh, if you could tell us what you've been doing lately to maintain your wellness. I'm going to shift it a little bit because to me, it's a little bit more about a PSA for me tonight. Um, if I can do that, you know, I work in mental health. I work as a principal at a therapeutic day school and, um, have done that for almost 30 years and not the principal, but have worked there for almost 30 years. And one of the things that I know happens a lot are, is that people who have mental health issues really struggle around the holidays. And the, the National Alliance for Mental Illness or NAMI, as we call it here, uh, has done a study where about 64% of people surveyed who have a mental health struggle really, really start to struggle around the holidays. And what I would like to encourage people to do uh, and who might be struggling with that. I know that you know Thanksgiving and Christmas are joyful times for a lot of people, but for people who've recently had loss or uh, feel alone, it, it can really be a hard time for, for those folks to navigate through the holidays. And so I just want to stress to those people, number one, if that's, if that's you, talk about it with somebody. You don't have to suffer alone. Uh, as I've always said, my DMs are always open. I've had some people that have actually taken me up on that, and I feel that's an honor and a privilege that comes with our platform, whatever you want to call this that we do. Um, but I think it's really, really an important thing. And I want to tell those people, you know, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to not feel the joy of the season. If you're feeling the, the blues or depression during this time, it's just really important to surround yourself with other people that uh, are doing things that you normally do and be around. So like, you know, I struggle, I've struggled with depression. I've been really open about that. And, uh, my kids really, they love the holidays, man. Like it's impossible to not have joy when you have kids around the holiday time. And mine are both, mine are teenagers. I mean, they're still doing the elf on the shelf and shit, you know, like, I mean, they're into it. And so that brings me into it. And so I don't feel like I'm by myself or get, you know, get out of my own head. Like Chris always says, you know, so, you know, just a shout out to the people who are struggling with that or people who've lost people recently and are going to have a hard time for holidays, you know, just reach out to people make sure that you're talking about it and, and know that it's okay to feel that way. It, it, it's, it's a, I like to say that feelings are visitors, you know, they come in, they stay for a while, and then you can kind of move them along and you don't have to stay stuck on that forever. So, you know, we, I, we'll, we'll record again before the holidays, but I know that this is a hard time for a lot of people and, you know, if, if anybody out there needs some resources or wants to talk to somebody, my DMs are open on purpose for that stuff. So I, I'll just kind of leave it at that, Chris. How about you? Awesome. Well, very well said, my friend. Um, so uh, mine is going to be usually I talk more about like mental health stuff. But uh, this week, I'm going to focus a little bit more on something I'm doing for my physical health. And uh, uh, I had mentioned to you that, you know, I was having like some some GI related issues. And, you know, we talked about different strategies that I was using. And one thing that I've been doing that actually has been really helpful, I'm very much into like holistic medicine and kind of natural remedies, all this stuff. And uh, I, I was reading about the benefits of, of ginger, just like straight oh, ginger yeah. root. Yep. Um, and you know, I, I'd gone to a GI doctor a while back and, you know, of course they just want to put you on a pill and, um, you know, I did that for a little bit and symptoms subsided for a little bit, but you know, I was like, let me, let me try something else. And I'm not in anything crazy, but it, you know, something like ginger is obviously natural, you know, like it's, so I'm like, give it, uh, I'll give it a try. So I started taking just uh, a slice of raw ginger root and having that first thing in the morning when I wake up and I've been doing it now for a couple of weeks and I can't say it's 100% the reason that I'm feeling better. Um, but there is definitely a correlation there. So mm -hmm. just a tip out there for anybody. I know a lot of people struggle with GI issues and, uh, you know, this could be something that, that might help even a little bit. So, uh, it's not the, the most enjoyable thing to eat, just, just raw, <laughs> but, uh, for sure. 
you know, I mean, people go and take shots of alcohol, you know, and that doesn't feel great, but they do it for a reason, you know. So this is a better reason to do that. Uh, and and one other quick tip, and I figure our demographic is, um, you know, more like younger to middle aged men primarily. Uh, so this might be a, a helpful tip. So I'm 37 years old. I'm I'm getting to that point where, you know. Age is starting to catch up. The hair is starting to thin. The grays are starting to to set in. Um, so, you know, I noticed that recently, like I've I've always had like a full head of hair, but recently I'm like, damn, like I'm in the shower. I'm like, I'm pulling out like I have like, you know, I'm shedding a lot. So I'm like, what what am I going to do about this? I thought about getting like that spray you put on and I'm like, you know, costs a lot of money and I, I just don't want to start with all that stuff. So, again started looking up like natural remedies just to see, um, you know, and I know I can't stave off father time forever, but give me a, another couple of years. All right. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I, someone told me that bone broth is something that is like packed with all these nutrients that's supposed to like revitalize your hair growth, blah, blah, blah. So like, whatever, well, you know, let me just try it. So I got beef bone broth and I'm drinking that shit straight, baby. Like it, <laughs> another thing does not taste good, but, you know what? If I feel it's going to benefit my health, I'll I'll tough it out, right? And another thing I've been doing now for a little over a week, no, probably about two weeks, and uh, I notice that like my hair is fuller. You know, like I, I there's definitely a difference. So, can I attribute it to that 100%? I don't know, but just interesting to note. So, for any of you other uh, guys who are listening who may be in a similar boat, um, give it a try. What's uh, what's the harm? You know, pretty, pretty soon you're going to be cracking an egg in a glass like Rocky and running sprints and sweatsuits. At Dude, I'll do whatever. Morning. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm cool with that. That's great, man. Uh, That's good. Good for you. I'm glad. Yeah. For yeah you. Why not? Um, but uh, Brendan, you have very nice hair. You don't need you don't need the bone broth. Uh, he does. <laughs> but um, Brendan, tell us uh, anything you wanted to share in terms of something you're doing to maintain your overall wellness. Yeah, I don't think my answer lives. I mean, you, you guys, Mike, that was a really beautiful answer you gave about mental health during the holidays and everything. And I mean, no, Chris, like, those are like, um, you know, great stories to hear. And, you know, that I'm really glad for you in that sense. And I think that's great stuff to share. Um, so, you know, you both hit that question out of the park. Um, but I think when, you know, the show she came across and we were talking, um, so I thought it was a really cool question, you know, to, to ask guests and to talk about each week. You know, if, I think that this that sort of stuff connected with the audience and, you know, it's definitely super helpful for, for listeners. Um, and yeah, so I mean, one thing that the, the first thing that came to mind again, which I don't think is, you know, near like impactful is the, the stuff that you guys were sharing. But um, I've really just been trying to, um, you know, get outside and, and you know, or, or move. Um I'm someone who just will want to work all the time. And, um, you know, the nature of what I do, that means a lot of computer time, a lot of screen time, you know, being inside sort of thing. Um, I've gotten into biking myself and just go, you know, going outside and going down, um, you know, the, the side streets and the park and we have a rail trail near where I live. And, um, it's just been really nice to kind of step away from, uh, the computer and screens and, you know, get out of my own head for a bit, like get out, you know, literally like the way people joke, like, you know, go touch some grass like that. I do think there's a lot of value. I mean, I'm someone who even during the height of baseball season, I really want to be, you know, watching all the games and you know, even on Saturdays and Sundays, but, but the summer, like, and I find like the days where, where I do go outside, I have that lake day with my friends, um, that, that it just recharges you. And, um, I'm, you know, that might, some people might, you know, naturally go outside a lot or due to their work or, um, get a lot of movement or exercise time, but I, I'm just trying to stay moving. Cause I definitely notice myself, um, feeling better when I do. That's mm. terrific. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I mean, it is so like some of these very basic things, man, it can ha be so impactful, just mm -hmm. moving throughout the day, just getting fresh air, getting sunlight. You know, like I, those are some of the first things uh, I work as a therapist. Um, and, you know, those are some of the first things that I'll talk about, you know, just some of these basic things. Are you sleeping? Are you, you know, is there some form of exercise? Doesn't, you don't have to be doing CrossFit, but just, you know, something. Uh, 
Um, are, are you getting fresh air? Like all, what are you eating? You know, all of these things are, are a huge part of our overall, uh, our mental and our physical health. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you, you sharing that. For sure. So we are going to end it there. Um, I do want Brendan, if you could just plug, um, plug your work and, and let our listeners know where they could find you on social media. Yeah. I'm on Twitter at too much Tuma. Um, work for underdog fantasy um brandon tuma.substacks.com it's, it's free to subscribe for um that's kind of that's why i wrote the pitches of balloons article i kind of just like to experiment writing around um over there so if you're interested in that sort of stuff you can come on by but um i really appreciate you guys having me on tonight yeah it was it was really great to talk to you brennan thank you so much for for making the time uh, so we thank anybody who has stuck around and listened to this episode. Um, we appreciate all the support. We'll be back in planning to be back in two weeks with another episode right before the holidays. So, um, yeah, that is all we got. Mike, any uh, any last words before we sign off here? No, Brendan, just keep up the great work. We love what you're doing. Uh, your presentation in Arizona was great at the at the AFL stuff and uh, first pitch. So keep it up, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks again for coming on. For sure. Thank you. All right. For Mike Carter, I am Chris Torres. Thank you so much for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat.